Hello and welcome to I Wanna Fight Arky, a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Close Analysis Podcast. I'm Thomas. Hey, Vsauce. Michael here. Where are your fingers? Where is your JoJo's Close Analysis? Because today we're covering Stardust Crusaders episodes 42, 43, and 44, the penultimate. This is the uh, second to last episode of our Stardust Crusaders discussion and, uh, you know, this might be a beefer. We haven't had a beefer in a while, but... <laughs> we haven't had a beefer in a while. <laughs> we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. So with all that said, let's get into the summary. Jotaro prepares to throw his claimed high and outside fastball. Darby remains confident in his abilities and so uses Atum to read Jotaro's soul. Once Darby confirms Jotaro's intentions are true, he prepares, only to suddenly have the pitch change on him. Darby is shocked at this development as Atum continues to read Jotaro's soul, only for Jotaro to continue to lie about his pitches. Darby begins to hyperventilate, unsure of how Jotaro is able to cheat. Eventually, Jotaro continues to throw strikeout after strikeout, and Darby admits defeat subconsciously, freeing Kakyoin's soul from the puppet. Deciding that because the game was over, Jotaro reveals how they cheated. It wasn't Jotaro playing the game at the end, but rather Joseph using Hermit Purple to use the controller Jotaro's hat. To use the controller, Jotaro's hat was merely misdirection. With Kakyoin freed, Jotaro uses Star Platinum to pummel Darby, which sends him into the sky, revealing the pocket dimension to be just another room in the mansion. Meanwhile, Dio theorizes that he only needs the blood of one more person to completely fuse with Jonathan's body, and, without hesitation, Vanilla Ice, one of Dio's servants, decapitates himself in order to offer Dio his blood. Dio is touched by the offer, but says that he cannot drink the blood of someone with Vanilla Ice's caliber, and so he heals his servant with his own blood, transforming Vanilla Ice into a vampire. Outside the mansion, enough time elapses where Avdol, Iggy, and Polnareff decide to head in. Before they do, Avdol tells the party that their main objective is to kill Dio, and that if one of them falls behind or is killed, they can't mourn them. Everyone agrees and heads inside. Avdol decides to use a technique of Magician's Red, which creates a six-pronged compass of fire that will warn them of any enemies. When they enter, the interior of the mansion seems to be a maze. Suddenly, Avdol's compass goes off, and using his sense of smell, Iggy summons the fool who breaks open a pillar, and a servant of Dio's falls out unconscious and bleeding badly. Suddenly, the maze-like design of the mansion disappears, revealing the servant to be a stand user. The group presses on, but Avdol notices some writing on a wall and that says when he turns around, he'll die, and when he does so, Vanilla Ice appears inside his stand, Cream. In his last moments, Avdol pushes Polnareff and Iggy out of the way, but as a result, Avdol is consumed by the stand, killing him and leaving only his arms left. Cream begins to devour Avdol's arms, and as Vanilla Ice explains that his stand leads to a dimension of darkness, and that he will kill the remaining crusaders one by one. As Jotaro, Kakyoin, and Joseph search for Dio, Polnareff attacks Vanilla Ice, in Polnareff's rage, Silver Chariot's speed is significantly increased, and he is able to pierce Cream. Vanilla Ice escapes temporarily, and with a moment to breathe, Polnareff and Iggy mourn their friend. Polnareff kneels from all the pressure and narrowly avoids an attack from Cream. Cream begins chasing after the two with its void, and Polnareff considers taking the exit door before deciding that they need to avenge Avdol. The duo head up to the second floor and see a hole in the middle of the room, indicating Vanilla Ice is nearby. 
Polnareff is able to deduce Cream's weakness, that in order for Vanilla Ice to accurately attack them, he needs to briefly appear out of the void. Polnareff and Iggy wait for their moment to strike. Polnareff frantically searches around the room, but suddenly Cream appears through the floor, cutting off the toes on one of Polnareff's feet. Iggy uses the Fool, whips up a sandstorm, and despite Polnareff's in injuries, the two manage to disappear. As Vanilla Ice searches, suddenly Dio descends the steps behind him and raises his hand to kill Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice counterattacks, knowing that the real Dio would never leave his chambers with the sun up, revealing it to be a fake Dio created by the Fool. Angered by Iggy's disrespect towards Dio, Vanilla Ice begins kicking the tar out of Iggy to the point where he begins coughing up blood. Polnareff, in an attempt to save Iggy, summons Silver Chariot and attacks Vanilla Ice, who disappears into Cream's Void. Polnareff gets the idea to have Silver Chariot surround the room with sand in order to see the outline of Cream's Void. Vanilla Ice briefly reappears, and Polnareff summons Silver Chariot, plunging his sword into Vanilla Ice's head. Vanilla Ice survives and sucks two of Polnareff's fingers, as well as a chunk of his leg, into the void before devouring half of Silver Chariot's sword as well. Having lost his patience, Vanilla Ice uses Cream to encircle the room numerous times in order to trap Polnareff and kill him. Polnareff attempts to free himself, but because of his injuries, he can't move, and as he is sucked into the void, he bids farewell to Iggy. As Jotaro and the others examine the wreckage from the first encounter with Vanilla Ice, the newly sired vampire attempts to kill Iggy after having gotten rid of Polnareff. Iggy, however, is coated with sand, revealing that, using the last of his strength, Iggy used the Fool to save Polnareff. As the Fool begins to fall apart, Polnareff uses the momentum to plunge Silver Chariot's sword into Vanilla Ice's head, causing Silver Chariot to grab the other end and twist the blade, snapping Vanilla Ice's neck as the two slam into the ground. Vanilla Ice recovers thanks to his vampiric healing, but because, Polnareff's but because of Polnareff's rage, Vanilla Ice is unable to keep up with the speed and power of Silver Chariot. As Vanilla Ice makes one last run towards Polnareff, Silver Chariot cuts open a door, letting a ray of sunlight into the room. Vanilla Ice's hand carelessly falls into the ray, vaporizing it. Polnareff insults Dio, calling him a filthy vampire, as Vanilla Ice rushes forward once more, only to lose a leg. Polnareff goads Vanilla Ice into attacking once more, and just as he leans forward, Silver Chariot taps Vanilla Ice into the sun's rays, vaporizing him completely. As the dust of Vanilla Ice flies away, Polnareff looks outside the window to see the souls of Avdol and Iggy thank Polnareff. Meanwhile, back in Japan, Susie Q has come to the country in order to see Holly. Rosas, Susie's personal assistant, begins to become nervous at the thought of telling Susie the condition of her daughter, but when the party arrives at the Kujo house, Susie reveals that she already knew about Holly's condition. While Rosas is unsure of how to help Holly, Susie says that to that to help her, they need to believe in Joseph and Jotaro. Back in Egypt, Dio's last remaining servant, a vampire named Nukasaku, thinks of how he'll prove himself to Dio by killing the Crusaders. Using the feminine-looking face in the back of his head, he disguises himself as a victim of Dio's, but Jotaro sees through the trick instantly, as Nukasaku had forgotten to switch his hands around as well. They pummel Nukasaku and proceed onwards, but elsewhere in the mansion, as Polnareff tends to his wounds, Dio himself appears at the top of a flight of stairs, staring down at the swordsman and mocking him as the final battle begins. End of episodes. Vanilla Ice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's this... the chick who drives the, the horse! horse. <laughs> One of these days, we are required to watch Cool as Ice. <laughs>
Yeah. Vanilla Ice made a movie, guys, about him. It's it's a weird movie. It's you it's, haven't seen it. It's a, but it probably is. It's a fun movie to riff on, though. Uh, it's a blast. But yeah, this is kind of interesting because this is like the first time a stand specifically is a musical reference. There is a band called Cream, and Cream is named after that. And you know, Vanilla Ice Cream, which is like, hey, that fits with the Part Five motif where all ah. the characters are named after food. <laughs> it's part Five and. Every other part combined into one. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so we got a lot to talk about here. Um, I actually took some minor notes for this one. Oh, Thomas took notes. How about that? <laughs> it's not just me taking my entire page or sometimes three pages of notes every time now. But yeah, um, did you wanna did you wanna start with something? Or... Do I? First, I will start out by saying this is. One of the most brutal fights in the entire series, Jesus Christ. I think this it, it's either this or the first fight with uh, Kira in part four oh, are yeah. the most brutal fights. I feel like this one is still more brutal than that one, although that one is pretty Christ. Yeah, there's a lot of blood. Um, but yeah, People I mean... People get the shit beat. Two, two characters die in this fight. It's crazy. Especially, main characters. Yeah, too. exactly. I mean, you know, it's not a JoJo part until unless the main characters start dying at the end. Um, yeah, but um, what 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 should we talk about? Speaking of death, let let's start let's let's start with that first. So, Iggy and Avdol both die, mm-hmm. and I just I'm just I just had just a minor point to bring up. We all know that um, Cack, our boy Khaki Pants. He later dies, well, very soon, yeah. as well. And I feel like, I, th- I think the reason why I just, like, never was attached to Kakyoin as much as even Avdol, Avdol, who didn't get, mm-hmm. like, a whole lot of character development either, I think the reason why I still found myself more attached to Avdol is because Kakyoin was absent. Like, they were, they were both absent for, like, a good chunk of the part, but Kakyoin's absence was a lot later on. Like, he just got back. Right. We've had a lot of time without him. So, the two of them, especially Kakyoin, got done, got done done so dirty. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's weird. I have to say, um, the first time I watched these episodes, I would, I mean, I had, I think it had been spoiled for me that Avdol and Iggy die. Um, but I, I had sort of, the first time I was like, ah, you know, like, this is kind of sad, but I don't know, like, this time, like, what, like, maybe it's just because we've spent so much time talking about Stardust Crusaders and breaking it down, but, like, it re- it really hit me this time, and, you know, especially, like, this is where the ending theme, Last Train Home, like, Ooh. really, really hits you, <laughs> you know? Uh, cause, you know, not, not everyone is going to be able to take that last train home. Um, Ah, yeah. (laughs) Ah. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's brutal. Um. Very sad. I think, um, and, you know, because, like, these are sort of character deaths, this is kind of like, um, this is where we see a lot of the characters wrap up their arcs. Um, I think Polnar F is basically done, uh from this point onwards, um, even though, you know, he's still alive, um, so, yeah, um, I guess, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, 
order this out. Are you trying to transition? Yes. Shall we talk about Polnareff now? Uh, we could talk about Polnareff. Let's talk about Polnareff. <laughs> yeah, so I think... Um, Let's talk about Polnareff and in relations to Avdol, since we were talking about the two of them. Um, that sounds good. They had a whole thing at the beginning where Avdol was like, hey, if any of us die, let's not try to save each other. Let's not grieve for each other because we can't waste our time and energy with that. Which is kind of, it's it's very similar to, I would say, what was the episode called? The Emperor and the Hangman, mm -hmm. where Polnareff was, of course, very sad because he had to find the guy who killed his sister, but Abdol's like, hold up, bro. Let's think about this logically. My man Abdol is the smart guy, right? And he's yeah. just playing his smart guy thing. And it's very interesting to think about because him playing the smart guy thing, being the dad friend that he is, goes off and saves Polnareff anyways and gets himself fake killed. And this right. is exactly the same thing that happens. He tells someone to do one thing and then, you know expects that they are to do it but never really follows through himself um, and he i think saves polnareff pushes him out of the way and i think um I, I have a lot to say about this sort of development i think um polnareff even like brings up the fact that you know he's like um he's been like a sentimental idiot or something like that since you know like way back when which you know sort of evokes um him calling avdol an idiot in the whole horse um hanged man episodes um, I think as well, um, this almost kind of ties into, like, um, like, the toxic, the great toxic masculinity the theory. The great theory! Uh, in a way, because it's like, um, you know, like, Avdol is, like, telling them, like, you know, you can't really succumb to your emotions, you can't really, you know, mourn for us, like, the prime objective is, like, killing Dio. Um, but what's kind of interesting is that, um... This is, like, the ultimate, like, synthesis of, like, Polnareff's character arc, I feel, because they specifically say in the show that Silver Chariot is way stronger here because Polnareff is so angry and because he is uh, feeling, you know, all these emotions. He's not, like, he's not closed off and, like, you know... I mean, when we say this fight is brutal, it's really just Silver Chariot mopping the floor. Chariot. Chariot. Silver Chariot. Sil Silver Cheerio. Yep. Um, Silver Chariot mopping the floor with Vanilla Ice in the last moments. Literally. I mean, he, he snaps his neck and you can hear the crack and like, he like, he like pinballs Vanilla Ice around the room and stabs him a million times. I, I like mean, to imagine that that's the actual Vanilla Ice getting pinballed You know, in our funny in our um, funny moments um, thing at the end, I might tell a lovely story that someone told me about Vanilla Ice just for fun. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I think that's you know, it's sort of he's not taking Avdol's advice to heart, but it's like you know, like Polnareff at the beginning of the series, he's very like we've established, he's very emotional, he's very um, you know, like his his motive his motivation is pure revenge, and like that's what drives him. But sort of, in this scene, this is like a combination of, like, how Polnareff has sort of grown as a person. You know, he, he acknowledges his faults. He acknowledges that he can't have um, a sort of obsession with bringing back his sister. His sister's dead. Uh, there's nothing he can really do about it. Um, and this is also, so, you know, you have that part. But then it's also sort of combined with Polnareff, like, feeling enough to a degree where Silver Chariot becomes just like, 
crazy powerful, uh, at least in comparison to Vanilla Ice. And, you know, Cream is, like, a really strong stand. Like, it, it, all it basically needs to do is touch you and you're dead. Um, and, like, you know, Polnareff and F and Silver Chariot, like, still make it out. Um, okay. And, um, yeah, did, I, that, that leads me to a good way to, uh, transition into what I want to talk about, unless there's more you wanted to add with, uh, Polner F and Avdol. Oh, there might be. Let me consult my notes, guys. <laughs> Take a shot. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I do have a few things to say about our, our, our best boy, best boy Polner F, an absolute king. Um, you know, Polnareff's out for revenge again, yet it, for Abdal, our boy. And, you know, because his his good bro was just murdered, um, him and Iggy pull, pull a fast one and make a fake Dio. Yeah. And to try to, um, try to, eh, blah, 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 try to trick, trip, Jesus Christ. Try they to, try to trick <laughs> yes, Vanilla thank Ice. You. <laughs> they try to trick him. And it's interesting because... When Vanilla Ice finds out the trick, he pretty much states that he'd normally hate attacking someone from behind, like, because of a trick, like, a trick. He doesn't want to do any backhanded shenanigans. He calls it cowardly. But he has absolutely no guilt for, because of Vanilla Ice, because he did the same thing to him. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's just a little character thing happening there. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it really, this fight really, like, pushes, uh, Polner F to his physical and emotional limits. He's willing to do things that he considers cowardly. Yeah, um, in order to sort of, like, win the, the greater battle and survive, yeah. Um, I think there's a... Speaking of that, um, I think there's a really interesting parallel and sort of mirroring going on here between uh, Vanilla Ice and um, Polner F. Um, they both have, like, they are both sort of defined by obsession, uh, where Polnareff is sort of obsessed with, at least in the beginning, he's obsessed with getting revenge for, uh, his sister, and getting revenge for Avdol, uh, in the, in this episode, and, uh, similarly, Vanilla Ice is obsessed with sort of serving Dio, like, he literally, like, cuts off his own head. This man is a simp. In order to, in order to serve Dio. Um, and so I think, um, it, it, it's really fascinating, um, you know, this is really Polnareff, uh, facing himself. I think, like, a line that stands out to me is, like, right before Vanilla Ice gets vaporized by the sunlight, uh, Polnareff is sort of goading him into attacking him, and he's like, you know, come on, Vanilla Ice, indulge your obsession, um, and this is like, you know... This is, like, where Polnareff ultimately ends up. Is like, in the beginning, like, he is indulgent in his obsession. It is his sole motivation. He doesn't really, you know, he likes the Crusaders, but he's not super invested in, like, their goal. Um, and now he, he has learned to temper his obsession. He is, like, his drive is what makes him stronger as opposed to his weakness, like Vanilla Ice. Um, and I just thought that was... Um, really fascinating. I think as well, um, it's sort of, uh, there's a lot, you know, you could draw a few similarities, um, but I think in particular something that stands out to me is sort of, um, the design of Silver Chariot is like, uh, a knight, 
and cream is like uh like a demon sort of looking thing it's got like horns and like you know sharp teeth and like a you know gaping mouth and stuff like that sort of coming to slay the dragon exactly so he's like slaying the demons uh polnareff is like uh he's slaying like his personal demons his his demons involving um obsession and like guilt and things like that um, I just thought it was really fascinating. It's something that I didn't pick up the first time I, I watched these episodes. Freaking D.L.B. looking for people to hire, right? <laughs> Vanilla Ice comes up with his, with his resume. I have a very powerful stand. I'm also a bottom. <laughs> D.L.'s like, hired! Um, actually, I kind of want to talk about that for a little bit. Um, all of Dio's minions have a heart motif yes. to them. Um, Vanilla Ice has it, what Darby has it. What is this, Undertale? Like, what's... Yeah, what do you think the deal with the heart motif is? See, that's, see here's the thing. This is why it's... I, I thought about this for a bit, and I tried to figure it out. But honestly, because, like, the symbol of the heart is such an overused and oversaturated thing, it's pretty much impossible based on what's going... Based on the context of Stardust Crusaders and the context that the symbol is normally used in and, like, the many, 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 many uses for it and the fact that it's everywhere, it's sort of, like, it's it's, it's, it's really, it's almost impossible to pin it down. It's more, I feel it's, it's more just, um, it, it's definitely something that's only common in, like, the stand users that are very close to him, mm -hmm. like, the ones that reside in there with him. Right, right. And, I don't know. I mean... I don't know, there's... The heart motif actually, like, stays a little bit. It appears in part four. It appears in part five. It doesn't appear in part six. It I does. Forget. Oh, yeah. it does. All right. But, you know, it, it appears in different contexts each time. Like, in part four, it's, like, very prominent. And in part five, it's most prominent on, like, the protagonists who are generally just and good and not Dio. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think, I think what the heart motif means with, like, Dio's minions in, like, part three is very different than what the heart means in, uh, parts four, five, and six. Um, I, I guess I can take People a... People that he has claimed as his bottoms. No, honestly, I, I think, I mean, he said that jokingly, but, like, I kind of think that's what it is. Oh, it probably is. Um, I mean... We all know Dio has definitely had some fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, they talk about... Um, Dio is not straight, Jesus. The way they talk about Dio, the way he's, like, the narrator speaks of him, and the the way that, like, Avdol and Kakyoin have spoke about him, this man is horny, alright? Well, I mean, they talk about him like there's this sort of, uh... Like, like, oh gosh, he's so hot. There's a terrifying sensuality <laughs> to him. Um, terrifyingly sensual i hate that combination of words <laughs> so much it's awful um and i think that's sort of what the heart is is like the all these people especially especially vanilla ice are um so obsessed and like so drawn to dio that like they i mean it's like they love dio like unconditionally he's he i mean and i think you know once we get to part six and like we can sort of talk more about this concept of um, like, godhood and things like that. I mean, it it kind of is, like, they're, they're zealots. Um, and... Poochie, hi, how you doing? Yeah, exactly. Um, there is an unconditional love for, for Dio, and especially can, you know, and we haven't seen him technically yet, but 
Um, like Dio also in the final battle has a heart motif uh, a to his design. Yeah, he has a belt buckle. He has a headband. Um, He's got him on his knees for some reason. The world is kind of you know it's it's headpiece kind of has like a heart thing going on. Um, well, it has I think it has like hearts in similar places. It might also have like hearts on its knees and yeah. like, has a belt buckle type thing. Yeah, if I remember correctly, that is. Um, so there's just there's like a there's like a reverence, you know, and it, it honestly it kind of is terrifying, like the fact that like the fact that, that they so hard for someone so awful that Dio is like so supernaturally charismatic that Vanilla Ice is willing to decapitate himself for him. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of freaky. Um, yeah, so... Thomas, you know what I'm about to bring up if you have nothing left to say about this? I have nothing left on the heart. You know, you know what? Yeah. I'm, guess, guess, guess what I'm about to bring up. Please guess. I, I want you to guess. Okay, all right. Um... It's something I bring up. I've brought up several times and probably shouldn't be bringing up several times. <laughs> I'm guessing it's something about horniness. No, no it's about Ayn Rand, but same difference. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, y'all know I had to fight Ayn Rand over the summer, and she has this whole, it's, this is more of a joking thing than a serious thing, but it's like semi-serious. We, we all, you know, everyone has such great unconditional love for Dio. My, my queen, uh, she's not my queen. Um, <laughs> my Rand, old foe. My sarcastic queen, my old enemy, does not believe that unconditional love exists. And I had to write an entire paper about that. And let's just say she's about half right. <laughs> it would take me another two hours to explain why, but she is half right. <laughs> the other half is she misunderstood what that actually means because she's dumb sometimes. So, so how do you think that applies to, to this? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of that right now. <laughs> well, you said that unconditional love doesn't exist. Uh, was... It does and doesn't. All right. Honestly, I don't even know how it applies anymore. But it's just because she. <laughs> I, I just wanted to complain about Ayn Rand. <laughs> see, I have to do that every once in a while. <laughs> so bas basically, she just misunderstands what people say when they refer to it. Yeah. But in this case, basically, a part of the point of my essay is that when people say un actually no, this can apply when people say unconditional love, right? They say, they usually mean that there's actually a condition to it. It's just that the conditions are so obvious that they don't con really consider them. They mean conditions that are not trivial. Mm -hmm. For example, um, they consider a part of love to be respect and whatnot. As in, that is the, like, one of the only conditions you need besides a few other things. Like, the very baseline conditions. They just consider every other condition, like, ability, whatever, you know. All, uh, literally everything else that is tri trivial to be you know, completely unnecessary in love, and it they consider it sometimes problematic. However, Ayn Rand just completely misunderstands that and says that people actually mean it like there is no conditions, as in there is no respect either. And this is true. These kinds of relationships are bad, as she points out with one very abusive relationship in a book that she writes, but she's also very problematic. She doesn't know... That was the only co correct thing she ever said about relationships before, I'll tell you that. I'm not going to go off about the fountainhead, but Jesus Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, Dio's simps, um, Dio's fan club, are that sort of unconditional love that does not have respect. So basically, truly unconditional love, which is bad. <laughs> yeah. Because there is no respect. So... They have respect for Dio, but it doesn't... 
See, it's, it's debatable whether Dio has respect for them. That's the interesting part. Does he? I don't know. Let's discuss that, perhaps. It seems very um, individual, and I, I, I guess uh, I, I'm going to try and summarize that for my own sake, because that was a lot of information. It was a lot. So, um, sort of what, like, if we were to look at this sort of... Um, through a Randian lens, uh, we would Ew, we would maybe say that um, D like this is unconditional love from like the Dio fan club. We'll call it all, every character the Sims with the hearts, which is um, Vanilla Ice, um, both Darby's, uh, both Darby's, Billy Jean who gets killed immediately, and um, that other guy, Nukasaku. Yeah, that guy. Um, so. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, um, I think you are, I think that would be a correct reading, or at least a reading I could understand, because, you know, Dio in part one especially talks about, um, you know, he, he talks about himself as, like, a superior being, like, uh, I think there's even a line in part one where, you know, Jonathan is like, you know, how could you kill all these innocent people, and he's like, you know, like, like, do you hesitate when you, like, step on an ant or something like that um and especially now that Dio has a stand I mean he is even more um above their their level um so I think it kind of um you know the it exists in that aspect it is like this sort of toxic unconditional love um yeah that's in, that's interesting to think about not to mention the the one one of the very few things I agree with Ayn Rand about um, where was I going with that? God damn it, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Is that I don't agree with anything Ayn Rand has to say. <laughs> oh, basically that... Well, one of the things she mentions is that on a healthy relationship, which is, this is true, by the way. That's, that's, this is, this is an alarming moment. She's right. Sometimes. She was right about this, where a relationship, you know, a positive and good relationship can only exist when both sides are equal to each other. This is also something I have been reading Berserk, and I just realized about two seconds ago that Griffith has a very similar idea, because I just read a chapter where he goes off about nobody, which is it's like the most interesting chapter that I've read so far. My man goes off and says that the only people who he'll ever consider his friends are those who are completely equal to him. Mm -hmm. And let's just say that Dio does definitely does not see his his simps as completely equal to them. He's just using them in a very similar way that Griffith used the entire band of the Hawk. He never considered them really as friends because they served him, because they were not equal to him, because they, you know, simped for him, if you will. Right. And then proceeded to sacrifice them all because he never considered them as friends because they were there to serve him. And even they admitted that. I mean, um... I, I'm just thinking about all this stuff, like, in relation to, like, the, the whole horse, um, Boingo episode, where, you know, Dio, like, even though, like, whole horse is kind of dangerous, you know, I mean, he, he has a gun, which, dangerous weapon. <laughs> he has a gun. Um, you know, he, Dio seems to regard whole horse as, like, you know, like, he finds him amusing, even though... Whole horse is amusing, goddamn. Well, specifically the fact that, like, Whole Horse is trying to kill him, and, like, Dio still finds him, like, you know, he has this, like, amusing fascination with him, you know, it's like watching, like, for and Dio, 
it's like watching like a small child, you know, like try and do something an adult would normally do. Um, and I think, I mean, that it, it, it certainly is this like power dynamic of, you know, like Dio, like whatever he might say, like is sort of almost like placating his servants, um, you know, like, um, and especially when we remember, when we think about, you know, what, uh, our next discussion is going to be where Dio just loses his fucking mind. Yeah. It's like, very fun. you know, like this is all just a facade really. Um, this sort of, um, you know, godly, uh, superior, I mean, not his superiority complex, but the way in which he is superior, uh, or the way in which like he portrays himself as superior to his, uh, underlings. You know, it's all just kind of fake, and it's all just kind of a facade, and then once, you know, the final battle happens, we see, like, part one Dio come through, and, like, that's who he really is. Um, it's interesting. You can never escape your destiny. <laughs> you will forever be a goblin. Well, speaking of goblins... Perhaps the king of them. Um, um, dance, magic dance, Jared. baby. I was just going right. to say Jareth. <laughs> We're not at part four yet, Emily. <laughs> um, I would agree. I would actually say that I feel like part one Dio might actually. Uh, all I'm gonna say is that JoJo Part One came out in like the same year that the movie Labyrinth came out. <laughs> I'm just gonna point Make that your out. own conclusions. Make your own conclusions about that. We all know that Araki simps for Bowie, uh, <laughs> and so do I. We all do. If you don't simp for Bowie, who are you? Um, <laughs> Emily will hunt you down. <laughs> Speaking of Dio, I have I have I wrote down a lovely quote, something that he said in these episodes that I still haven't entirely picked apart yet. But I wonder if I wonder if Tom of Ass over here has done so. <laughs> running away from what, blah, 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 blah. running away from me is running away from life itself. Dio, whatever the fucking year it is, nineteen eighty something. Eighty nine, I think. Um, yeah, I I think um. It is interesting. It's weird um, because, I mean, we sort of associate Dio in these parts with, like, um, you know, he's, like, death. Like, he'll just straight, like, kill a fool um, immediately. Kill the fool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. Too soon. Even Too though soon. it came out, like, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yeah, I think... I, again, this is sort of, like, the godlikeness and, like, superiority. It's, like, you know, like, you can't run away from a, a god. Like, there's, like, an omnipotence to that. And, like, you know, at the same time, like, you can't really run away from uh, life. Um, it's actually, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting that he considers himself life and not death. Yeah. Because you can run away from life. It's called... Suicide. Yeah, it's called suicide. That actually reminds me of, um, I, we're bringing up a lot of, like, uh, side stuff, but, um... Side stuff is good. Tom King's, uh, miniseries, uh, Mr. Miracle, uh, which, I mean, I don't want to get, like, so deep into DC lore, but essentially the premise is that, that Mr. Miracle, who his, his moniker in the DC universe is that or his tagline, rather, is that he's the world's greatest escape artist. Um, it essentially um, is... Uh, it opens with him attempting suicide. Um, and so, 
uh, there's sort of a question throughout this whole miniseries of, like, can Mr. Miracle, like, escape life? Why why would a person try and escape life, uh, whether it be through suicide or other means? Um, and so I think it's really fascinating. And what ultimately um, the, I, you know, without giving away too much, um, I, what Mr. Miracle says, Mr. Miracle the miniseries says, is that um, you really, you you should go and, like, do whatever makes you happy. Like, if there, you know, if you just want to, like, leave and, like, you know, es escape your life in sort of a, a symbolic sense, like, uh, you know, change your name or whatever, like, stuff like that, you should do that. Um like, it is a valid choice, and I think it's kind of interesting to think about in, um, the case of JoJo, where we, uh, we think about fate in JoJo as, like, is, like, this immovable thing, and this kind of, you know, fate, and, like, it, it we think about fate as fate, that was a really smart thing to say, <laughs> we think about fate as, like, inescapable. Uh, it's like I stole the brain cell this episode. <laughs> We think about fate as inescapable, and Dio comparing himself to life, you know, like, life is fate, like, essentially, like, you know, you, you, you can't escape that. And the fact that we have um, the the main characters, the Joe stars, they're sort of trying to defy this fate, this, you know, um, what Dio views as fate, but, I mean, he kind he, you know, maybe he has, like, a, an incorrect view of the situation like he thinks that he had like he is fate like he is inevitable i mean his powers are you know just as a vampire would make him dangerous but the fact that he also has a stand is you know just pushes him over the edge um and there and i think it's kind of a, a running theme like with all the jojo villains is like this misinterpretation of the villains of fate and like what is supposed to happen so i think that's kind of like what is being played with with that line a little bit that was a long rant for one line <laughs> i mean it's, it's 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 a line i'll tell you that all right we we just went on a how many minute long rant about dio that was not <laughs> something i certainly planned for um shall we move on from um the sugar daddy tm sure <laughs> let's talk about uh talk about the sandy daddy <laughs> iggy no <laughs> it's the sandy daddy is sandman in part seven <laughs> fair enough iggy um, is a dog <laughs> uh yeah so the one thing i wanted to talk about with iggy is they mentioned this concept of um the proud soul uh so like uh, Vanilla Ice is kicking the shit out of Iggy, and he's Poor like, baby. you know, an animal could not possess a proud soul. Uh, like, they just do not have the the capacity for it. And then, when Iggy saves Polnareff, um, the narrator jumps in and says that um, Iggy does have a proud soul because, uh, because stands are a manifestation of one's, you know, emotions and um, their being, essentially, um, the, the fool, like, just acted on its own to save Polnareff. It wasn't, like, a conscious decision by Iggy, and, like, that proves that Iggy has a proud soul, as the, uh, 
as the show puts it. So what what do you think is going on there, Emily? I think you just summed it up, though. <laughs> I just think that Vanilla Ice is a dog kicker and should be put down and was put down. I am happy about that. He just, he was, oh my god, the, everybody, I don't mean to sound like Joe Exotic, them animal rights people. Um, <laughs> that Them animal rights people, really, they probably don't like him. <laughs> Because he kicks dogs and doesn't think that animals have feelings. But, like, what about... Even cats have feelings. But it's... I I guess, like, what I'm trying to get at is, like, what is the proud soul? Like, you know, I mean... Okay, I can define that then. I got you. It's clearly, like... This is, like, whatever is happening in this scene where the fool saves Polnareff is, like, beyond any sort of, like, you know, conscious emotional decision. It's just, like instinct takes over and like that's what Iggy does so like what is the proud soul see I I wouldn't even based on everything else except for that I wouldn't say it really has much to do with instinct because Araki just likes to talk about instinct for some for some reason um but I would say that it's just sort of like a sense of self and that's that's the way that you that you sort of acquire a stand you know every every creature Mm. that has a stand in this universe has a sense of self and a sense of well, I guess instinct is a part of it. I feel it, it, the reason that stands manifest is because of self-defense. It like it's it's the need to protect your body from being dead. So you can't you can't. Well, I, I guess it sort of has something to do with instinct. It's sort of like a combination of having a sense of self and instinct, perhaps. I'm just the I'm just spitballing here. If, if, <laughs> I'm trying. Hold on. There's something there that I'm getting in my brain. It just I just need to word it properly. I mean, maybe I I, I can talk about it for a Translate. little bit. Um, I mean, I think you are. I think you sort of nailed it with the the sense of self. Um, and I I it's it's interesting because you know there's not an overwhelming amount of like animal stand users in they JoJo. Got rats. We got rats. We got birds. We got dog. And a cat. And a cat, yeah. Um, so, it's... It's interesting. And, like, of all of those, like, Iggy is the one with, like, the most personality. Like, what, like, you know... And, and what's interesting is, like, especially, like, um, as time goes on, um, like, stands become, like, you know, it's questionably canon, but, like... A Gucci bag has a stand. Um, like we're a, not going to talk about that. Lots, lots of things in the JoJo universe have stands, but I think the difference is sort of what I think is the proud soul is like the ability to like sacrifice like one's self for like others. Um, I, I mean, I don't like that this show calls it a proud soul. I mean, I feel like that kind of confuses things a bit. Um, but, you know, we talked a lot about in the in the Pet Shop episodes about how Iggy is sort of like, he learns self-sacrifice. Um, and this is like the ultimate expression of it is, and like, especially because like the fool is like the manifestation of Iggy's stance, is the manifestation of Iggy's soul, like who he is as a person. Uh, the fact that like, it just acts on its own to save Polnareff is like, like, I, again, like, how we sort of said, like, this is where the character arcs rack up, wrap up. This is where Iggy's character arc wraps up, is he has become, he has lost his selfishness, and he has become, 
he has made the ultimate sacrifice for another person. I'm going to half agree with you right there. Uh, only because, um, yes, that was Iggy's character development indeed. But also, Stan's entirely manifest because of self-defense. And generally, a pra- like the concept of pride isn't generally used in context with saving people. It usually has to, like, I'm just going to go back and go back to the whole concept of the self well, again. Well, I, I, just wanna like, say, I just want to say real quick, I mean, I, I don't think Stan's only manifest in self-defense. Like, I mean, part four, that's not where Josuke gets a crazy diamond. Yes, we know that. <laughs> like, there, like, there's a lot of examples of characters and not, I forgot what I was not developing say, their stands through self-defense. <laughs> oh, yeah, but mostly because they call it a proud soul, and I really don't think either that, that, that might be a mistake on Araki's part. Where that general pride really doesn't often have something to do with self-sacrifice. I feel like it's more yeah. just that he... I, I think it's just the fact that he developed in general, possibly. Just that he became something stronger and greater than what he once was. And that he found something to believe in, necessarily. Mm. That's what gave him a proud soul. It's not that he sacrificed himself, I would say. It's just that he had such strong conviction and determination to protect this one thing. That, that's what I'm getting at here. I like that. I like, that makes a lot of sense. I, th- I think that's good. So if it's, if it's a proud soul to protect only yourself, that would be one. But if it's just to protect your best buddy over here, that's still something he believes in. He finally, he finally found his home that he always wanted to find. Like, the fact that, like, Iggy has, like, found a family, sort of, is what enriches his soul. It's, like, what... That's what gives him, like, a proud soul, is that, like, you know, he's found people, and, like, when you find people and, like, you connect with them, it enriches yourself. And, like, that's what the proud soul is. All right, I like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Bouncing off each other like fucking cars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like cars in in a ravine. Um. (laughs) I will never get over that scene. (laughs) I'm just going to point that out right there. Every time I think of it, I smile. <laughs> it brings me such joy. It does. It's so funny. It's <laughs> All right. out of nowhere. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Let's, let's consult the notes. <laughs> uh... Ah, hold on. I need, to, I need to add in some good old fillers by um, just yelling into the void so it's not, like, completely silent. <laughs> Um, let's talk about Holly okay. for a little bit. Just just one yeah, thing, really. God, there's so much that happens in these episodes. I sort of forgot about that plot line. So so Holly, right? This this whole scene is not actually as important as I thought it would, because it's like, oh, you just have to believe in them, blah, 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 and which is fine. But, like, remember the, Lisa, the big Lisa Lisa disappointment? Yeah. Time for the big Holly disappointment. <laughs> Although there already has been a big Holly disappointment, but the big Holly disappointment just got... Even worse. The way that they draw Holly and animate her in one of these things, yeah. it's just pure BDSM. Yeah, it's it's pretty off-putting. It's like, this is someone's mom. Yeah, I mean, you know, I... I, I, I sort of get it. This has nothing to do with anything, Like, they're, they're trying to 
portray a sense of vulnerability, but like we like we know the situation Holly is in. Like she's we gonna can, di- she's gonna die real soon. Lying on her sick bed. Yeah. Trying to breathe. I feel like that's all we need when it comes to showing vulnerability. It's pretty she gratuitous. Can't move. Yeah. Um. I I do. I mean, we can sort of we'll probably save this for when we start part four in two weeks, but. There's a line in here where Susie Q says something to the effect of, like, you know, um, Joseph Joestar has never betrayed my expectations. <laughs> uh, come back in two weeks. <laughs> See, but, she um, didn't know. Yeah, I, when she found out, she probably royally beat his ass. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I don't want to lean too hard into this because we will certainly be talking about Joseph again once we get to part four, um, but, I mean, I, I think, um, I think sort of what is being said there is, like, you know, it, it, it's, like, like, at, like, Susie knows that, like, Joseph is, like, a shitlord, you know, I mean, like, all the stuff that we talked about in part two, where he's just, like, a goofy asshole, like, you know, like, messes with people's heads constantly just because, like, it's fun for him, um, but, like, at the end of the day, like, all of that trickery and all of that stuff, like, like Susie always has the expectation that, like, Joseph is going to do the right thing in the end. And, like, I mean, e- even with the shenanigans that happen in part four, I think Joseph, like, ultimately is, like, he he's still a good person. He's still, like, an ally of justice or what have you. Uh, and like he he makes he makes the right decisions uh, in the end. Most of the time. Yeah. Um, he is a lord of shit. That is simply how he functions. Yeah, it's uh, it I it's it's kind of a funny little scene uh, that they just kind of throw in there. Um, it's also where like most of the silly stuff is in these episodes, <laughs> relatedly. Ooh, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Um. Yeah. I mean. I don't. I don't have any other serious stuff to talk about. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh my god. <laughs> that one's the so amazing good. Darby English continues. See, we didn't. We didn't even bother talking about the end of those episodes because there's nothing to say. Yeah, like, yeah, one yeah. Funny thing, and also, um, rest in peace, my boy Billy Jean. <laughs> rip, 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 my dude. Billy Jean. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, I like how he just like gets taken down immediately. It's, it's pretty great. funny. Um, the, the whole Nukasaku bit is pretty humorous as well, uh, just cause I kind of like the idea that, like, you know, Dio has, like, this elite squad of, you know, servants, and, like, one of them gets taken down because, uh, Jotaro puts his hat on a TV, one of them gets taken down immediately, like, without even getting a chance to attack, and Nukasaku is just incompetent, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the best part is that, like, you'd, 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 like, oh, they figured out that he was one of the bad guys, TM, because, like, his hands were backwards, but at the same time, that person could have easily just been some, like, in their heads, could have easily been some random woman with weird hands. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. Like, it could have literally been. Like, they, they barely had any proof for the fact that he was a bad dude, which he was, but at the same time, that's all there was. That doesn't, be, just because she had weird <laughs> hands doesn't mean that she was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, 
the Joestars and Kakyoin forgot to drink their respect women juice. Oh yes. But for, but fortunately, uh, it was it was the one time where respect women juice would have led to their downfall. Yeah. Um, Ooh, one more thing that's semi serious, semi funny. That lovely quote from Polnareff. Iggy, watch my back, and I'll watch your big <laughs> character development and whatnot. But also, it just reminded me of that meme where it's like, Dad, we're not getting a dog. We get a dog. Dad and the dog. And then <laughs> they become best friends. It's the scene with Iggy and Polner. Yes, that. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, I'm trying to remember. All the stuff with Susie Q before they have the big conversation about, like, Holly, I think is pretty funny and random she's Ooh, like let me take a picture of this shit that someone yeah someone let me take a, a shit on the let me take block. a picture of this like homeless man who is just living outside this ramen restaurant yeah. like um also she buys a turtle at some point and a friend and there's just a guy holding a turtle it's great and it's foreshadowing for part five gross <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. Um I do have another silly thing. Yeah, go for it. Um one one thing that I that no I feel like nobody talks about, but I thought just just it just really it, it was funny. Just very minor, very silly thing. When the whole mansion rumbles as Vanilla Ice is having a great time trying to murder Polnareff and it just cuts to Neo <laughs> reading a book and yeah. he just is completely unfazed by it. <laughs> the whole place shakes and he's just he's just vibing. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um <laughs> D- we're going to get to Dio's silly stuff next time. My god. Because Dio, oh my god. Um but uh yeah, that's pretty funny. My um My man's on crack. I'm trying to think of what else? Um, Dio would just be like, yes, I am sexy and charismatic. And then in the finale, he's like, I just did so much crack. Oh, my God. <laughs> that really is a good way of putting it. <laughs> I never thought about that before. That's good. Uh, um, yeah. Actually, uh, he probably did bath salts. Yeah. <laughs> my he's, man's scratching at his head. He's smoking paint. He's, like, sniffing paint thinner. Like... <laughs> Um, I feel like he did at least three substances. (laughs) I mean, why do you think his, like, lip, uh, why do you think his lips are green? It's the paint thinner. Perhaps this is why Jorno has such a big grudge against freaking, um, drugs because he was a crack baby. (laughs) That's a crack baby fool. Uh, do yourself, guys, do yourselves a favor and look up Mr. T and the T-Force. That's, that comic is insane. Um, but, uh... Yeah, um, I I can't I can't think of any other silly stuff. Crack these were baby Jorno. These were kind of serious episodes. Yeah, I'm done. Anything? All right, cool. All right, Bye, so off Michael is leaving. <laughs> and, I found uh, my fingers. <laughs> if uh, you want to see all the silly, semi-serious stuff that I post about and talk about online, you can follow me on Twitter at Thomas M Brickman. I also do another podcast with my buddy Kevin. Uh, where we talk about video game news and also review video games at the same time. Uh, you can tune into that um, by going to the website wecb.fm and uh, just clicking on the live stream that's right there on the front page from 5 to 6 on Fridays. Uh, we also have an archive channel on YouTube, which you can find. It's just post-game content. Um, and updates and uh, you know stuff regarding that show... Uh, it can be found uh, at PostGameCon. That's at PostGameCon. 
And, uh, Emily, where can people find you on the internet? Have you ever heard of this place called Twitter? I haven't, no. Okay, well, it's there. <laughs> Even though I just plugged my Twitter. <laughs> it's there, at Emily Vinkles. That's a V, not a B, because UPS. Screw oh my God, you, wait, United. I forgot to tell, talk about my Vanilla Ice story. Oh, well, yeah. Maybe another time. <laughs> I will open up the next episode with the Vanilla Ice story. Sounds good. All right, and uh, with all that said... We'll see you guys. Oh wait, I forgot. I forgot this show's social media. I, look, I have so much social media to plug between two shows. All right, you can you can find uh, news and uh, funny memes and like Emily live commentating uh, whatever part she's reading. Oh my um, god, it's great. Trust me. By following at I want to fight AR one on Twitter and I want to fight R key on Instagram. And with all that said, we'll see you guys next time for the finale of JoJo's Bizarre Adventures: Stardust Crusaders with episodes 45, 46, 47, and 48. And with all that said, we'll see you guys next time.